0: Proverbs chapter 10. The title of the message is The Skill of Speaking Words of Life. The skill of speaking words of life. The text is verses 18 through 21. The one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. At one time we were all at enmity with God. We were rebels against God's authority. We rejected God's goodness. We disobeyed His pure and perfect will. And what we did is instead we lived in accordance to our own standards and in pursuit of our own glory and our own fame. And if you're a Christian this morning and you're hearing that, you're thinking to yourself, you know what, that's exactly right. I lived my own way. I did my own thing before I was saved. And that's who we were before we became Christians. We were rebels against God, and we rejected Him, and we lived for our own glory. And this is the deal, is we were blind to His glory. We were deaf to His message of love. And we were dead in our trespasses and sins inside of our heart. That's who we were. We were blind, we were deaf, and we were dead. And then, in an amazing turn of events, God opened our blind eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ. He unclogged our deaf ears so that we could hear and rejoice in the message of the cross. And then he made our dead hearts alive so that we could feel the power of His gospel love. And so what has God done? He has made us here, He has made us see, and He has made us alive. Can anybody say amen to that? But that's not all He did. He also made us messengers. He also made us ambassadors. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us, This, that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He has given us the message of reconciliation. He is making His appeal through us, we are His ambassadors. And this is what I want you to know. God has not only transformed your eyes so that you can see Christ and your ears so that you can hear the message of Christ and rejoice in it and your heart so that you can feel the glory of Christ, but His desire is to transform your mouth so that you can speak forth the message of the cross and be a minister of reconciliation and to be a minister of gospel love. That's what God has called you to Your privilege and responsibility is to communicate in such a way that accurately represents who our king is. That's what an ambassador does. An ambassador is a messenger for the king. And an ambassador accurately represents who the king is. Now, sometimes, as Christians, we get a little carried away. We have a tendency to uh, kind of take this responsibility, and we don't understand it exactly. And so we we apply our ambassadorship in kind of uh, in, in odd ways. We think that if we can just quote enough Scripture, then we will be God's ambassadors. If we can just speak enough of the Bible, then we will be faithful in ambassadorship. And so I want you to do something for me right now. I just want you to envision with me uh, a couple. I'll just... We'll call them Clay and Clarissa, okay? And Clay and Clarissa are are new Christians, fairly new Christians, year or two, and, and they're excited about the Lord. And Clay is taking his responsibility of ambassadorship very seriously. He sees himself as a messenger for God, and he knows that it is his calling in life to speak for God. And so Clarissa and Clay wake up one morning. We'll say it's a Monday morning. And just Clarissa looks over at Clay and says, uh, Good morning, honey. And Clay says, Sing praises to the Lord. O you His saints. And give praise to His holy name. Darkness may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And Clarissa says, uh, Okay. (laughs) About 20 minutes later, they're getting ready for work, and Clarissa asks... uh, Honey, can I make you a piece of toast? Clay responds, Man does not live by bread alone, but by, every mouth that per- but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Clarissa thinks to herself, Okay, does he want toast or not? <laughs> so Clay's leaving before Cl- Clarissa is, and so she says, uh, Have a great day. Clay responds, This is the day that the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it. And as he's driving off, she's mouthing something, so he rolls down his his window and she says, I love you. And as he's driving off, he says, love is patient, love is kind, it is not rude, as he drives, drives away. Clarissa later in the day texts Clay, says, can you stop by the grocery store and pick up some onions and some potatoes? Clay quickly texts back, all things are lawful for me, but not all things helpful Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food. God will destroy both one and the other. He's in the grocery store and he gets another text from Clarissa and she says, what are our Saturday plans? He says, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then when he gets home, Clarissa says, what are we going to do about Clay Jr.'s failing grades in algebra and He says, train up a child in the way that he should go. And in the end, he won't depart from it. And at that point, Clarissa just stops communicating with Clay for the rest of the day. This is the deal being an ambassador for Christ, being a messenger for Christ, is not about getting as many biblical words that you can get out in a day, it's about having a biblical agenda. It's not about speaking the very words of Scripture. It is about getting the character of Scripture and the message of God's love and grace and truth to people everywhere you go, no matter whether it be your spouse or your children or your co-workers or no matter who it is, whether you're at the checkout line, at the grocery store or speaking to someone on the phone. Your job is not necessarily to speak the words of Scripture. It is to embody the very character of Scripture as you speak. And so what I want to do is from this text, I want to give you five instructions about speaking, five instructions about speaking so that you'll be an effective ambassador for the king. Listen, I will not have done my job this morning up to this point if you don't agree right now that you are an ambassador for the king. You are a messenger for the King, okay? That's what you are. You are to be a spokesperson for King Jesus. And if you don't feel that weight, if you don't feel that privilege and also that responsibility, I've not done my job as a preacher, so please right now think about the reality that you are an ambassador for King Jesus and you are to speak His message. Now, the first Principle I want to give you is don't have hatred in your heart and honey on your lips. Don't have hatred in your heart and honey on your lips at the same time. Verse 18 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. The idea here is that the person who has hatred in his heart for somebody and yet does not deal with that hatred, but instead interacts with that person as if he loves him, is a what? Liar. A liar. Yeah. He's a liar. He deceives that person by the way that he acts toward him and by the way that he speaks to him. Th- this is the principle here. If your speech contradicts your heart, you're a liar. Right. If your speech contradicts your heart, you are. A liar. When you hate a person but pretend that you love that person, then you are building and cultivating a relationship that is a lie. That is the meaning of this proverb. I once had a man who approached me in the organization that I was with at the time. And he came up to me and he said, I got to tell you something. He said, I've held a grudge against you for two solid years. And I got to be thinking to myself, because I went to church with this guy, and I realized that for the last two years, we had had fellowship meals together. We worshiped together on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, and even served on leadership teams together. And he says, I've been holding a grudge against you for two solid years, and I've not followed your leadership, I've not listened to you, and I've not been for you, I've rather been against you. And for two solid years, I had no idea that he had this. And and he said, it goes back to a decision that you made in leadership that I didn't like and that I was offended by. And ever since then, I have, have built up a wall of hostility against you so that I would not listen to what you had to say. And I said to him, praise God that you have come to me and told me about this. I had no idea. But the reality is, that for two years, this man was lying to me. Yeah, that's right. He was living a lie in our relationship. And this is the deal. It looked like we had fellowship. It looked like we had friendship. But it was nothing but a fake friendship. It was not authentic. Why? Because he had hatred in his heart, but he had honey on his lips. Okay, I praise God that He came. I praise God that we were reconciled. I praise God we got to deal with that. But this is the encouragement that you and I need to receive from that example, is if we've got something going on in our heart that is hostile towards somebody else, we need to let that be uprooted. We need to deal with that. And we need to deal with God with that. And we need to deal with each other with that so that we can have authentic, real fellowship. God will not bless your life And He will not bless the ministry of Redeemer Church if we have a bunch of people who wear smiles on our face but hatred in our heart. I think a good example of this is the older brother in the parable of the two sons. I used this as an example a few weeks ago, but in another way. But if you can recall, the older brother ends up getting really angry at his dad and, of course, really angry at his younger brother who returns and gets blessed But he gets so upset. Why is he upset? Because for all these years, he's quote unquote been faithful to his dad, but now he sees somebody else receive the blessing and he just spews forth all of this hatred because all the while it was in his heart, he just never had uh, uttered it toward his father. And so I want to ask you a question right now and I want you to seriously consider it. I want to ask you, is there anyone that you have a hostile attitude toward? Is there anyone that you are against this morning? Is there anyone who has offended you? Anyone who has hurt you? Anyone who has done you wrong? And because of that, you have built up a heart of hostility toward that person or toward those people. I want to call you to deal with that this morning. I want to call you to deal with that. It may be your boss. It may be your brother. It may, may be your mother. Maybe your dad. Maybe a child. Do you have a heart of hostility toward anyone in your life right now? This is what I want to call you to do. If you're taking notes, write this down. First, I want to tell you this talk to God about it. Talk to God this morning about your heart of hostility toward this person or these people. Ask God to help you deal with it. Just lay out for Him the scenario and say, Lord, you know this is what happened. You know that since what happened, happened, this has been the nature of my attitude toward this man or woman or this boy or this girl. Lord, would you help me deal with it? And then as you ask God to help you deal with it, would you be willing to rehearse the gospel? Would you rehearse the gospel? Because the reality is, as you rehearse the gospel, you're, you're going to realize God, I've been hostile toward you. I I was at enmity with you. I had rejected you. I had rebelled against you. And you could have been hostile toward me. But instead of being hostile toward me, you came to me in love. You sent your son for me. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. He has brought reconciliation between me and you. You loved me even though you were hurt by me. Lord, would you help me as I rehearse this gospel truth and your gospel love to have the same kind of attitude? toward the person that I'm hostile against right now. And so repent of your sin and have a spirit of self-judgment rather than judging the person that you have are hostile against. And begin to love that person in a new and fresh way once you rehearse the gospel. The fact is, is you can either be a hate-filled liar or a grace-filled ambassador, but you can't be both. Mark, You can either be a hate-filled liar or a grace-filled ambassador, but you cannot be both. All right? So which one is it going to be for you today? Are you going to be a hate-filled liar or a grace-filled ambassador? Do you want to be an accurate messenger of King Jesus or do you want to lead people astray by the fact that you have this hostility in your heart and honey on your lips? I call you today to repent of your hostility and to speak words of life to people who you now love through the power of forgiveness. The second principle I want to give you today is don't slander anyone. Don't slander anyone. That comes from the second part of verse 18, which says, whoever utters slander is a fool. But I do want to tell you right away that I think that 18A and 18B are connected. I think what's going on is that is that while I have hostility in my heart toward my boss... I don't like what he tells me to do. I don't like what he says. I don't like how I feel like he mistreats me. He elevates others when he should be elevating myself. I don't like his attitude. I don't like his lifestyle. I can't stand him. And I'm building up this hostility toward him. But whenever he's around, whenever my boss is around, yes, sir, no, sir, I love you, sir, you're a wonderful boss, sir, yes, sir. But then whenever he's not around and there's a co worker, I will throw him under the bus. I will say how much I can't stand him. I will say how bad of a leader he is. I'll I'll say how much he's not a visionary person or a, or, a, or a wonderful boss, and I wish I could find another job. I'm slandering him behind his back. That's the idea. There's a connection between these two things. Now, what is slander? What is slander? Slander is sharing negative information about a person with the intent to harm that person. Yeah. Sharing negative information about a person with the intent to harm that person. It's communicating in such a way that disparages the character and the reputation of another person. It disparages the character and the reputation of another person. And this is the thing about slander. Slander just doesn't come out of nowhere. It's often born out of some kind of wrong or a perceived wrong that's been done to you or somebody that you love. Okay, We feel hurt. We feel offended. We feel slighted. We feel mistreated. And so what do we do? We slander that person in order to settle the score, in order to to exact revenge, in order to knock that person down a notch. Slander is revealing. Slander reveals our selfishness. When, When someone stands in the way of our agenda, we feel justified to slander that person. Slander reveals um, worldliness, and and, and the reason I say worldliness is because when someone stands in the way of our personal success, we feel justified to slander them. A couple of years ago, one of my sons did not make the all-star team, and it was baseball, and I played college baseball, so I feel like I've got a pretty good baseball acumen, um, and from my perspective, he was one of the top five or six players in the entire league, but he didn't make the all-star team. And so when, when his coach came to me and said, I know you're probably not going to believe this, and I feel terrible, and I've had sleepless nights about this, but your son did not make the all-star team. My head started spinning, and my heart started churning. And my heart started churning out all kinds of ideas and thoughts and malicious kind of passions toward those who were responsible for leaving him off the team. I knew at that moment I had an opportunity to begin to slander people whom I didn't even know. I had no idea what went on inside the room of whenever that voting happened. I have no idea what motives were. I had no idea who was even on that team. All I know is that my son didn't make a team that I felt like he deserved to make, and I had a choice to make. Was I going to go around town and begin to slander these people, or was I going to say, you know what? Do I think it's fair? No, I don't think it's fair. But the reality is this team is not more important than me representing my king in a right and proper way. So I did the very best that I could in the power of the Holy Spirit to keep my mouth shut and my heart right so that I would not have a harbored hatred or hostility toward people that I felt had done my family wrong. Okay, listen, listen. You and I are not justified to say bad things about people when people don't do what we think they should do. We're not justified. So let me give you a word of advice. When you feel like saying something about somebody else that knocks them down a notch simply because you're hurt or you're offended, keep your mouth shut when talking to others. And keep your mouth open when you're talking to God. And let Him minister to you the gospel of grace. Can I get an amen? It reveals our unbelief. It reveals our unbelief because this is the deal. If we've been really hurt, if we've been really offended, if we've been justifiable, I mean, some of you in this building today have been really hurt and offended and violated. But this is what happens. We begin to slander other people or that that one person who has terribly hurt us because this is the thing, is we don't believe that God is a God of vengeance and justice. You remember the text of Scripture says that um, I am the Lord, I will repay. I will exercise vengeance. But we don't believe that and so we feel like we need to get our own vengeance because we we disbelieve the justice and judgment of God. It reveals our lack of love and our folly. Remember, folly, we've talked about this a number of times already in this um, series. Folly is the skill of defectively navigating all of life toward the glory of self. It is the skill of defectively navigating all of life toward the glory of self. And that's what you're doing when you're slandering. You are saying things about another person or another group of people so that you can go higher on the ladder of fame and they can go lower on the ladder of glory so that you'll be elevated and they'll be put down. It reveals our folly. It reveals our lack of wisdom. Wisdom is the skill of effectively navigating all of life toward the glory of God. And and this is what what, uh, slander does it shows that we are unwise and we are not after God's greatness and His glory. And so, I want to just help you out with a couple things here. If you're not sure if you're slandering someone, if you're not sure, you can ask yourself a few questions before you begin to speak, okay? So if you're, you're a note taker and you really want to be helped with your mouth and with your speech in this area of talking about other people, I just wrote down a few things that I try to do. First of all, ask this question. Is what I'm saying true or false? Is what I'm saying true or false? I can guarantee you that it's slander if you're sharing information about another person that you don't know for a fact is a fact. Second thing, am I ascribing motives to that person? Am I ascribing motives to that person? Church, we get into a significant problem when we say, oh, I know why he did that. He doesn't like me because I beat him out in that thing, and so now he's trying to get back at me by not giving me that position and giving someone else that position. Listen, that is ascribing a motive to somebody of which you do not know. You do not know. Only God knows the heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, do not ascribe motives to that person. Third, am I trying to solve a real problem or am I just airing a personal offense? Am I trying to solve a real problem or am I trying to air a personal offense? This is important because sometimes you have to talk about situations and people in order to get at the problem, in order to solve the problem. In other words, let's just say you have two parents, a mom and a dad, and, and, and mom's been home uh, with the kid all day. Dad comes home and the kid has really just been rebellious and struggling. It's not slander for the mom to say these things of what the kid did to the husband in order to get at how we're going to solve this kid's rebellious pro- rebellion problem, right? That's not slander. But if David and I are just chewing the fat one day, David begins to tell me um, X, Y, and Z about his neighbor, and I don't even know his neighbor. I've never even met his neighbor, and I might not ever meet his neighbor, but you're telling me you're airing all this dirty laundry? That would be slander because I'm not part of the solution. I'm not helping you accomplish that, okay? And so the question is, am I trying to solve a real problem or air a personal offense? And then this is the one that I ask myself. This is important. Would I be embarrassed if the person heard me say what I'm about to say? Would I be embarrassed if the person heard me say what I'm about to say? You know, I I try to speak in such a way that if everything I ever said about a person got back to that person, I wouldn't be embarrassed and I could still have a loving relationship with him or her. Now, I'll tell you right now, I'm not 100% successful in that. But I will say this. When I'm at home talking with my wife or I'm talking with one of my best friends and somebody comes up, some, some person in the community or some person in the church, I will tell you that it is, it is not in the back recesses of my mind. It is on the forefront of my mind. As I begin to open my mouth about this person, I, I would like to envision that person being in the car with me right now, listening to what I'm about to say about that person, and I can stand by every word that I say. Y'all understand that principle? Okay, because because that will help you guard your tongue and not slander people. So I want to ask you, do you attack people's character? Do you harm their reputation by the way that you talk about them? Do you have loose lips? Are you willing to, to cast judgments on people? Are you willing to ascribe motives to people? Are you willing to throw people under the bus at the expense of their character and their reputation? That's slander. I encourage you to repent today before we take communion. Don't slander anyone. The third principle. Don't be Mr. Talkative. Don't be Mr. Talkative. Be Mr. Temperance instead. Don't be Mr. Talk it be Mr. Temperance instead. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I think the idea here is people who talk all the time invite all kinds of sin into their life. Right. They invite slander and malice and crudeness and rudeness and pride. You just talk and talk and talk. Then you're just inviting just a swollenness of sins into your life. I think that's why James talks about in chapter 3 that the tongue is a fire, right? It's like a spark and it sets on fire the course of hell. I mean, it's like a forest fire that starts with this little bitty spark and then all of a sudden you look up and hours later and the entire forest is being burned down. That's the nature of your tongue the more and more you talk. I've said this before, but Peter was this way. Can you remember the Apostle Peter? You just read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Peter would just say stuff to say it. He would just talk just to talk. I mean, if you can remember, I don't remember exactly how it's stated, but when Peter and, uh, is it James and John or Andrew and John, however it works, to go up for the, the transfiguration. Yeah. You remember that? And Elijah and Moses are there. And, and man, it is, a, it is a picture of glory. It is an amazing sight. And Peter just says, man, it's good we're here. It is so good we're here. Do you want us to kind of make you guys an altar and help you guys out and everything? And, and I think it's Mark who says he said this because he didn't really know what else to say, but he wanted to talk. He's the apostle with a foot shaped mouth. He just wanted to say stuff. Well, that's the way we often are. If you're given to talking a lot, then you need to work on restraining your lips. You need to work on restraining your lips. I'll tell you, this is something that I've worked on through the years. You, you may not be like me, but I, I can remember going, like when I was in seminary, we had uh, just a ton of, of friends uh, that were in seminary together with us, and we would go over like on a Friday night and have dinner with a couple, and we would stay until 10 or 11 or 12 o'clock at night having a good time. We'd just talk and talk and talk, and I would get in the car, and I would have this feeling come over me like, I just talked way too much. I just literally, I just talked and talked. And so, and so what I decided to do is whenever we would go out to dinner or someone would come, I would say, you know what? I'm going tonight. I'm not going to talk too much. I'm, I'm going to restrain my lips and I'm going to ask more questions than I give answers. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw my friend out and ask him or her more and more questions. And I'm not going to act like I'm the authority on everything and feel like I've got to make my point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purpose to restrain my lips. I just want to tell you, I want to tell you, some of you are not given to talk at all. I mean, it is everything that you can, I can do to get you to say something, okay? But then others of you will just go on and on and on. You need to be like me. You need to purposefully restrain your lips at certain times just to show that you have self-control over your mouth. Over your mouth, all right? And so, um, do you have a tendency to talk too much, to go on and on about things? Is there any way you can use a greater economy of words to get your point across? I was telling... Feel, earlier this week that i had some some godly professors in seminary and and i just remember my professors their, their job was to talk all day that's what they did they talked they taught all day long but when we would start every class my professor would. every one of them would start with prayer and they would ask god for help ask god for strength and wisdom to teach appropriately, and then they would go on and teach in a loving and gracious way. But then, when we would be in discipleship lab with our professors, which is like a small group, we'd spend like an hour and a half, five of us with one professor, and we would do that through the semester. Or we would go out to lunch or dinner with our professors. It was amazing. Our professors talked very little. When you got them in a private setting, they asked a lot of questions. They drew us out as students. I remember I had one professor. He has to be the smartest man I've ever met. He he spoke 15 different languages. He translated the Bible into another language. Spent 15 years as a missionary translating the Bible. Did so. Came back and has been a professor in seminary for the last 20 years. He is so brilliant but you get him in a conversation, it was amazing. I would do more of the talking than he would because he was constantly asking me questions and he was giving me direct answers to the questions that I was asking him to. I think he was embodiment of when it says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, our Savior was not really a talker. He was a teacher. He was a preacher. He was a great friend. He wasn't a a talker. You never get the impression that he went on and on and on and on about things. He used an economy of words in his sermons in order to achieve the greatest effect. Don't be Mr. Talkative, but be Mr. Temperant. Fourth, get your heart right toward God and let your speech be rich toward people. Get your heart right towards God and let your speech be rich toward people. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. Now, if you just look down at the text, I want you to see that there is a relationship between the tongue and the heart. And in the book of Proverbs, the tongue is frequently coupled with the heart. In chapter 16, verse 23, it says, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. In other words, words, the wise man has a judicious heart, has a righteous heart, and then out of his lips comes righteous speech. In chapter 26, I'm going to read a few verses. Please just take these in. Don't, don't worry about turning there, but just listen to this proverb. Like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are fervent lips with an evil heart. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, don't believe him, for there are seven abominations in his heart. This is the idea. Your words are a reflection of what's inside your heart. Your words are a reflection of what's inside your heart. And so the heart of the wicked is of very little worth because what's inside a wicked person's heart is the glory of self. It is me, myself, and I. And so the wicked man's speech is both jaded and untrustworthy because he is out for himself. Whereas the tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. And by choice silver, I believe that the proverb is saying that it is beautiful. It's valuable. It's precious. It's a blessing. That's what I believe. So, so when, when, when Solomon says that the righteous man's words are like choice silver. The person who's in the presence of those words, wow, I'm encouraged by that. I'm blessed by that. I'm edified by that. I'm strengthened by that. I feel better about my relationship with God and my outlook toward my life because of what that person says and how they say it. Did a lot of reading this week on on speech, and uh, I want to read to you the testimony of Paul Tripp, pastor. Some of you remember him from doing the parenting conference last year about this time. In my early pastoral days, we lived in a twin home with our elderly landlady living in the other side of the house. In exchange for reduced rent, I agreed to do all the yard work. In the busyness of ministry and family life, it was sometimes hard to find time to mow, rake, or shovel. But I tried to be prompt and faithful. However, no matter how disciplined I tried to be, my work never seemed timely enough for our landlady. To get me to work on her schedule, she would go out and start shoveling or raking, knowing full well that I would rush out and complete the job. I was unaware of how irritated I had become over her manipulation until one afternoon when I heard the leaves rustling outside. I looked out the window to see my landlady in her house dress and slippers raking the leaves. In my anger, with my hands on my hips, I said aloud, if she thinks I'm going to rush out there and rake for her, she's nuts. I'm going to take, I'm going to rake on my own time or not at all. What I didn't realize was that one of my sons had been standing beside me and in a split second to my horror, I saw him in the front yard, hands on his hips, yelling at my landlady. My dad says if you think he's going to rush out here and rake for you, you're nuts. I couldn't believe it. I was mortified. I wanted to back away from my words and rush out to tell my landlady that I had said no such thing or at least that my son had misunderstood what I'd said. But I had to face the fact that the words had come out of me. That I had said what I meant. And that the words were the fruit of anger I had carried for quite a while. There was an organic connection. Listen to this, church. There was an organic connection between my words and my heart. You would not solve my heart problem by removing my son or teaching me to be more judicious with my words. The problem with my words was directly tied to the problem with my heart. He goes on to say, We speak and act the way we do because of what is in our hearts. I believe he's reflecting the teaching of Jesus Christ who said, No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Grapes are not picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. I want to ask you one question under this heading. When people leave a conversation with you, how do they feel? When people leave a conversation with you, how do they feel? The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The fifth principle is use your speech to meet people's deepest needs. Use your speech to meet people's deepest needs. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The idea here is that the righteous person refreshes and replenishes others with their speech. But fools not only lack the ability to feed others, they themselves perish because they starve to death due to their lack of connectedness to the root of God's love and to the root of God's gospel. I I think I just want to be really simple here. Righteous people feed others with their speech. This word feed is used elsewhere in the Old Testament as shepherd. Shepherd. You could say even here, a loose translation would be that the lips of the righteous shepherd many. What what does a shepherd do? A shepherd takes his sheep and leads them to good pastures where they can feed on good grass. He carries them over to the still waters so that they can be replenished and refreshed by the water that they need to survive. He protects them from those who are around who might attack them or hurt them or malign them or lead them astray. That's what a good shepherd does. And I will tell you that if you name the name of Jesus Christ, if you are an ambassador of Him, the calling on your life is to shepherd other people through your speech. It is to replenish them. It is to feed them. It is to refresh them. It is to cause them to rejoice in the Lord. That's your calling. Use your speech to meet people's deepest needs. Those are the five principles that I want you to see from the text. And and church, I just want to take this opportunity to affirm you. I want to affirm you because for three years, Redeemer Church has been a church. And we have grown together, and we love one another. We hang out together. I was telling uh, Aniston Bible. I went and preached over at ABC Wednesday night, and I was telling the church that we love and care for one another, and that our love and care is not fake, but it is genuine. And I, and I want to affirm that you use speech, that you use words, that you have tone of voice and sincerity of heart in such a way that we have real affection for one another. And I want to affirm you in that because you know how many people it takes to split a church. Do you know how many people it takes to create division in a church? One. It takes one person. And for three years, for three years we have enjoyed good fellowship with one another. And I want to affirm you in that. I want to encourage you in that. I also want to encourage you toward more faithfulness, greater faithfulness. I want to encourage you that you don't get so comfortable and so at home with everybody around that you in your heart you, you lose your excitement about the glory of God. You, you, you lose your passion for the goodness and grace of God. And you lose your zeal for the gospel of God that you revert back into your old ways where all you do is talk about things that are easy to talk about, that are mundane, that are worldly, that are neutral. I want to tell you something about your speech. Your speech is never in the neutral zone. It's either feeding people and blessing people or it is turning them away from the glory of God and causing them to put their eyes on something that is either selfish or worldly or mundane. But you are never in the neutral zone with your speech. And so I encourage you to persist in faithfulness and don't allow yourself to go to the lowest common denominator with your speech. And then I want to ask you, finally, to consider the ways that you can use your speech to give life to people. How can you use your speech to give life to people in order to meet their deepest needs? Phil, you can come up, but I want to take this opportunity right now. If you would, if you don't mind, church, you can take your notebook, you can take your Bible, get it in your lap. I want you to be willing to bow your head for a moment. You can close your eyes or not, whatever you're comfortable with, to get in a place of, of, of evaluation. What I would like to do while you have your head bowed and, and your, your, your heart in a meditative, self-evaluating frame, I'd like to see a show of hands who receives my roundup each week. Okay, you can put your hand down. It's the overwhelming majority of the church. I sent a roundup out Wednesday. And this is what I wrote. I said... uh, I believe that we're doing well. We enjoy worshiping God. We love each other. We're becoming more mature through the instruction of God's Word. Children are learning the truths of the Gospel. Visitors feel encouraged and excited. But I'm not sure how consistently zealous we are about being on mission every day for the advancement of the Gospel. I'm not hearing many reports about intentional relationships with lost people. And yet I know we want to see people Uh, who are lost to be saved. I know we pray for God to advance the gospel in the community. And so there must be a disconnect between what we want to see God do in the lives of non-Christians and what we're actually doing in the lives of non-Christians. God saves lost people when saved people fervently pray for and zealously love lost people. And so this is what I said in the roundup to you. I said, will you respond to this email with a testimony of how you're pursuing a non-Christian with gospel love? Will you give a brief evangelistic report and a specific way for me to pray for you and the person you're trying to pursue with gospel love? And then I said, I will definitely pray for you. And I will seek to encourage you in that pursuit in the coming weeks and months. I know that some of you have legitimate reasons why you either did not read that or you did not respond to it. But your pastor reminded you that you are an ambassador for Jesus Christ. You are His messenger. You are His mouthpiece. Your job, your responsibility, your privilege is to speak on behalf of the king. And five of you responded. Five. And I want to tell you that that is neither pleasing to God or acceptable to God. If you do not have gospel efforts to be His ambassador, to speak His message in His way, I praise God for those of you who are faithfully seeking to be an ambassador, whether I heard for you or not, and I am praying for you. But I want to ask you, if you're not speaking on behalf of God, if you're not actively being His ambassador for His gospel, I want to ask you today, what will it take for you to be more intentional with your relationships and more sacrificial with your time that you might feed people as a shepherd. That you might see people like Jesus saw people as sheep without a shepherd. I want us to sing this song with a repentant, a a spirit of repentance and self-judgment that we might be cleansed and renewed by the goodness and grace of our God and that we might be motivated to live like our Savior who was perfect in His speech and loving in His message. You want to talk about evil speech? There were those who called Jesus Beelzebul. They said He has a demon. There there were There were disciples who said, I don't know Him. I have no idea who you're talking about. There were others who said, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! There were others who mocked Him and and who said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they threw a purple robe on Him and put the crown of thorns over Him and they used their speech to malign Him. And others used their speech to slander Him. And all the while, Jesus goes to the cross and with His arms stretched out, and with His heart full of love, He says to them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I want to tell you today that even though you are a slanderer, even though you have maligned people, even though you have had evil speech, maybe even this week, Jesus Christ is saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Would you embrace the forgiving love of Jesus Christ today? Would you embrace it? Would you receive His love? Would you receive His grace today and revel in what He's accomplished on your behalf? We're about to take communion. I'll stand over to your right. Ben will be over to your left. You can come at your will. And celebrate the forgiveness that Jesus Christ accomplished on your behalf at His cross.